Congratulations! You found it! The most inappropriate book club you never knew you were missing! Starring the original book divas, Martha Steele and Vonnie Golden. These people are passionate about books. Maybe a little too passionate. Plotting world domination one book at a time, they are three book girls! It's me. I'm the problem. It's me. It's me. Hi. And we're not supposed to talk about Oh my Taylor. god, I'm so sick of Taylor Swift. We're not supposed to talk about Taylor Swift today because Megan's not on and she's the one that always brings her up. So we can't talk about her today. I'm not gonna lie and say that I'm a fan or anything, but anytime I hear anything that alludes to a song I've heard, I'm gonna quote the lyrics. <laughs> Kelly Talent is with us today. It's been Hi. it's been a really freaking long time since you've been on the show, dude. Several years, but it's good to be back. It's too, it's too bad you guys can't see Quinry because she is the best. She really is. She's a little Australian Shepherd Chihuahua mix with the dappled marks of an Aussie, which is pretty unique look on a small dog. What's going on in the world today? In the world today, as usual, when we are doing the show, I send out articles via our Facebook chats. Kelly was like, I just sent her this article out of the blue. I didn't tell her what I was doing because I just didn't think about it. I'm so used to doing it. And she's like, um, why are you sending me this article? This does not look like something that appeals to me. And I'm like, dude, just go with it, okay? Read the article. And she's like, oh, okay. We didn't tell you that that was a uh, precursor to being on the podcast, just happened to be in. Martha's very random message string. <laughs> no, and the funniest part was, is all I saw was a, like a portion of one of the points in the headline. So I thought it was going to be a social media do's and don'ts. <laughs> and I was thinking, real subtle, Martha. <laughs> 11 tacky things to quit doing. If you want to seem more elegant. Yeah, if so you want to seem more elegant. And I was like, do any of us ever strike you as elegant? That's the funniest part. That was the funny part to me, too. The whole premise of it was, do you want to seem like you are a little bit more glamorous than you really are? This is how. Hey, elegance yeah. isn't just about how you dress and about how you look. Agreed. It's a decorum thing. And I think that's kind of what they get at at the end of it, even if it was a misguided attempt. Because <laughs> the things that they suggest are just basic common courtesy at least i think it's basic common courtesy like my personal favorite was the don't have speakerphone conversations in public <laughs> there are so many times i have come across that and the worst is when you're in line somewhere someone is standing two feet behind you having their speakerphone conversation you react to it and then they get upset with you because you were listening yeah. How could you not? The worst one for me, I think, was Bluetooth headphones were just becoming a thing. And this is before everybody had AirPods and all that kind of stuff. Um, I was in the bathroom and somebody in the next stall was like, hi, how are you? I thought they were talking to me. I answered them. I was like, oh, bye. <laughs> I'm going to die over here. I was not expecting and that. It was just, it was one of those like kind of really weird. And I kept talking back to her. Like she was back and forth. And before I even realized that she was on the phone with another person and I'm this weird stranger in a different stall <laughs> talking back to her when she's on the phone. Oh my goodness. And that's one of the times that you just stay in the stall until you hear the water quit running yep. and they leave. <laughs> It's just like, like sticking your hand underneath for some toilet paper and somebody misconstrues it as something else. Because I think there's like, I think there's like some weird I, I didn't hear about this until like later down the line. But I guess that if you want a little action in a stall, you can reach your hand under and wiggle your fingers or some shit like that. I'm pretty sure that's a men's only thing. <laughs> yeah, but I, but, I, but I never knew that before. So you can imagine, like... Somebody sticks their hand underneath the stall for toilet paper, and you're like, uh, I'm married. <laughs> <laughs> or they stick their hand under the stall, and they, or you do, and then somebody just pokes their head up under it, and it's an adult face instead of a child. <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> How many times I've been in a public bathroom and had some random child stick their head under the stall? 
That is not elegant. (laughs) That is definitely not elegant behavior. I thought maybe it would be like, you know, don't pick your teeth at your desk at the office or I don't know, break out the floss after lunch with people sitting around. The don't interrupt. I do that all the time and I don't even mean to. Sometimes it's- Well, I think we've talked about that before on this show because people who have attention deficit disorder- interrupt a lot but not because they're assholes but because they're going to forget what they're going to say if they don't say it so we I mean we we're just natural interrupters we don't even realize we're being assholes yeah and Kelly don't mind as Martha just interrupts you mid-sentence see <laughs> no it, it, it's just a perfect example of the asshole that I really am deep down it just means you're accepted. You're accepted on the podcast if Martha interrupts you. We proved that that was not elegant, right? <laughs> so cutting in line, who even does that? Have you run across that li- lately, recently? Anybody cutting in line? I have a couple of times, but it's always been in the setting of like a fair or an amusement park. Oh. And it's usually, you know, teenagers. It's not anybody who's... I'm super concerned about getting into a confrontation with. I just roll my eyes and decrease the distance between me and the next person so it won't happen again. Elegant. Very fucking elegant. What else we got on here? We got uh, stop burping in public. Okay. Sometimes you just have a gas bubble. That's what I was going to say. I think that like trying to regulate a natural bodily process is kind of going beyond the elegance thing. I mean... If you can, if you feel it coming, yes, of course, step out of the room and burp somewhere else. But most of the time, that thing just rips out of you at 80 miles an hour. There ain't nothing you can do to stop it. And, you know, I'm really kind of surprised that crop dusting was not listed in here because a lot of women are crop dusters. <laughs> Let it out slow and easy. And then run away. So especially if you're in a bookstore, you're like, and then off to the next aisle. So the next person comes along, walks right into it. That doesn't smell like new books. <laughs> Oh, goodness. I'm just thinking about my grandma when she used to walk to the grocery store farting and she'd go, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, damn. (laughs) She was exceedingly elegant, so I disagree with this. Like, bodily functions are bodily functions. No amount of elegance can just undo humanity. I mean, now, if you're going through the uh, grocery store, you know, belching the inner, the alphabet or something, well, yeah, maybe not. But if you have to burp, you have to burp. Oversharing. Gushing and oversharing on social media. I think gushing means like when you put a... Bragging. An open-ended comment. No, that that's something else. No, that's something else, but I hate that. Like, like you're fishing. Yes, like somebody goes... Oh, this has been the worst day ever if some people behave this way. And then you're like, uh, I have no freaking clue what you're on about, but I'm not going to ask you because you're being passive aggressive. I really hate that. Like putting two sentences up in a post to say some people are such assholes. There's no nothing that you can grab onto. So you're like, yep. They are. Occasionally, those vague posts are hilarious. You know, if, they're, ah. if they do it thoroughly, I enjoy it. Um, I'll be honest and say that I'm probably guilty of every social media faux pas that exists, but I also keep less than 100 friends, and they're all people that I know can handle me in that form, so I don't really worry too much about it. But... I have definitely some things, uh, seen some things on social media that made me raise my eyebrow. Like the people who Just post one. about all of the drama in their family. Well, Martha, like you and I post about like things going on in the world and like and in our lives and stuff. But like some people post about their baby daddy going to jail and they don't know how they're going to pay rent. So they had to sleep with the landlord. Like that's not elegant no matter how you spin it okay i don't know people what will really bust some crazy Kelly, have stuff. you been on my social media or what because that's the kind of shit that's on mine all the time i'm a little worried about it you both my mind what people will post i'll just be sitting there like and i thought i was oversharing i'm fine honey i'm fine <laughs> I thought I was oversharing. Or the breakup posts. Oh, oh, I hate those. When when people say stuff like, 
you know, you can spend all your life trying to please someone and they'll never love you back. Those, but my personal favorites are the ones where they're lashing out, you know? When they say things like, that trifling hoe has trick anyway. You're going to have to explain that to me. <laughs> uh, trifling hoe is like a, a scandalous woman and uh, trick is trichomoniasis. It's an STD. <laughs> <laughs> every time I see those posts, I just laugh. I, I can't help it. Sometimes I literally laugh, react. And if, if I'm close enough to the person, I laugh at them openly. <laughs> I'm so glad I have somebody <laughs> to translate all the new slang for me. That's one of the things I do to, to Kelly and Tyler is I go into their office and say, um, what does this mean? Kind of like when we were out earlier and we had the goat discussion. Oh, yeah. We were talking know, about yeah. calling somebody a, a goat is a compliment now and I didn't even realize that until I've been on zoom calls with um training the last freaking month and a lot of the kids are like younger than my son and they kept putting up these like little goat emojis, emojis and stuff and I, I didn't know what it meant and I didn't want to ask because I didn't want to be that old person oh you kids these days what does that mean <laughs> You know what it means now, right? Yes. I know what it means. We had the discussion. We had the discussion in the car today because there was a weed shop called the goat. And yeah. it and it had a and it had a goat with a weed vest on. The fire thing, I was sitting with my nieces and their respective husbands, boyfriends and what whatnot. And we were all eating like pie and stuff. And one of them said, This pie is fire. And I'm like, well, it shouldn't be spicy as pumpkin. I didn't put that much cinnamon in it. And I'm like, and my sister turns to me and says, she's like, that means it's good. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I felt so stupid. But I remember the first time I heard someone say, I love that for you. But the way they said it, it was kind of one of those things. It was just like, bless your heart. It could go either way. Uh, it could uh, be a genuine, you know, I love that for you. Or it could be like a sarcastic, <laughs> I love that for you. And so I wasn't really sure how to take it. So I had to ask one of my friends that was, you know, still in his 20s and, and say, hey, what does that mean? He goes, oh, yeah, it's just like that. It could go either way. It depends on how she said it. If she said, oh, I love that for you, she meant it. If she said, oh, I love that for you. She was being sarcastic. It's a minefield out there, I tell you, for us old people. It, I really, honestly, I'm not, I, I'm 36. So I'm about 20, 2018. I don't know. I'm not going to try to guess. 20-ish years younger than you. And I often find myself looking perplexed because there's new words. Um, I remember the first time somebody said something about drip. And I thought, is that like the same thing as bling? And it is, but I didn't know what it was at first. And I thought, it's happened. I'm there. I've crossed that threshold where I no longer know all the new words. It, it's arrived. I've crossed Damn. over to the dark side. Sit. You're not cool anymore, Callie. You're officially old. It's a sad day, but honestly, I don't care. I, I do things like garden instead of, you know, go to clubs. So I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with not knowing cool words in exchange for that piece. <laughs> and by the way, yes, I'm 58. So, and Bonnie's 49. Almost 50. I'm almost mid-century. That's like when you go to the antique store and they're like, oh, look at this beautiful mid-century piece. Yeah, that's me. I'm in it. She's calling me an antique. <laughs> No, I'm the antique. You're just mid mid-century. I'm what? I'm just mid-century? Yeah. <laughs> I think anything over 20 years old is antique, isn't it? I think classic. So. Classic. Okay. All right. Sorry, classic. But you yep. know, like in the Zoom call, it was after like training and everyone was just kind of chatting and stuff and all these kids are talking about like and they were talking about uh fashion. I was lost i was just reading the feed and finally i just put yeah i went to high school when half shirts and tight rolled jeans were in fashion the first time <laughs> <laughs> i honestly am not a big fan of a lot of these fashions coming back i think they should have stayed in the decade in which they died you don't like the mom jeans the super light colored ones that they're wearing basically to their armpits it's just an immediate 
No, get away from me. Don't wash high waisted. The only thing that they're missing is the pleats. The oh pleats my God, don't say it. If you say it, you will manifest it in this world, Bonnie. Do not say it. I Someone saw- listening wearing those pants is very upset right now. That's right. No. <laughs> I saw, when we were walking through the men's department at Target today, Bonnie, I saw some pleated pants. And I was like, oh, freaking, you have got to be kidding me right now. I love pleated pants. I don't, why did you not like them? <sighs> let, me count, your gut. let me count the ways. How do you explain something that you don't like? I mean, that's always hard. You're like, because it's ugly. That's a good enough reason. <laughs> How about if you just say, because it didn't look good on you instead of calling my shit ugly. Dude, you oh. started this whole thing up in here. Whatever. Oops. You went there. Shit. You're the one who went there. Okay, we can stop talking about pleated pants now. Although I do want to, I have one final thing to say on the fashion subject. And that is the day they bring back stirrup pants is the day I'm out. I've seen stirrup pants out there. They're just not as popular as what they were. They are the worst fashion choice that ever was and ever will be. Okay, I agree, except for maybe if they made stirrup pants that were like workout pants, like the the stretchy workout type, because those things ride up your legs when you're, you know, doing squats and all that. And it gets really annoying. And I have a sensory thing. So I end up pulling my pants legs down during half of my workout. And if I had a stirrup that just held them in my tennis shoes and they wouldn't move while I moved, I would totally wear those. I can't believe that you put that out there into the world i (laughs) I think we should uh, move to the second portion of our program so that we can talk about some books bonnie what did you read this week any stirrup pants or stonewashed jeans or anything like that in your read this week god no women didn't wear pants in my book hey you never know when you're gonna read something out of your wheelhouse so just try and it's not a nudist book they just wore dresses oh i got excited i would love a book about pantsless women (laughs) and speaking of other centuries my book was from the 1800s because you know how i like those really really old books it's called the cape doctor by ej levy and it's set in Uh, Ireland. It begins in Ireland is what I should say. And it's about um, a family, a husband, wife, and and daughter. And the husband kind of, I'm trying to think how exactly he was financially unwell. I want to say it's because he gambled. Um, But, you know, back in that century, your husband was the bread maker. Women Really, the, the bread maker, the bread, the bread <laughs> winner, bread, <laughs> the bread winner. They could have made the bread too. My husband's the bread maker. Yours is the bread. They brought home the bacon. Okay. And this guy was taking his bacon to the track and betting it on the dogs. Mm. Well, actually, I don't know if that's what he did, but he had a gambling problem, and basically, they were destitute. They threw him in debtor's prison and the uh the mother and took her daughter to i want to say to london and because that's where her brother lived and wanted to see if she could if her brother would take care of him and i think her brother was kind of a dick and they ended up making friends with an aristocrat who was who lived in London and stayed with them. The daughter, I can't remember how old she was when all of this happened. I want to say she was she was young, but not like a child. I, I want to say she was like 11 or 12 or so. It's been a few weeks since I've read this. But she was extremely smart. She wanted to go to school. Of course, back in that day, girls very rarely went to school or were educated at all. But she kind of um, went around and tried to find out ways to get an education. The, uh, the aristocrat that um, they lived with helped out tremendously. He sent her to, as far up in school as women were allowed to go. And then after she got as far as she could go, she decided she wanted to be a doctor. Of course, there were no women doctors back then at all. 
uh, women weren't allowed to be doctors. So she basically just became a guy, changed her whole identity so that she was, she made herself, I can't remember what her, her male name was, but she made herself a guy, put herself through medical school and everything else. And one of the bad things though, about having to change her identity to become a guy is that she had to kind of hide her history, her background, everything like, um, I can't remember who it was in her family. It might've been like her mom or her brother or something were sick and she couldn't talk about it. She couldn't go back and see them because if they knew where she had gone, she was afraid that they would connect her female personality with her male identity or her female identity with her male identity. And she'd get kicked out of medical school and arrested because I guess you could be arrested back then for that. Mm-hmm. And she had to juggle a lot of things at one time to try to make something of herself. And also another reason why she had to kind of keep her identity to herself is because if her father would have gotten out of debtor's prison, or even if he died, whoever he owed money to would try to come to his other family to try to get the money or put them in debtor's prison. She had a lot of obstacles to overcome for sure. And, but she overcame, she became a doctor. Uh, This is based on a real person and she was an awesome doctor. She was a doctor at Cape Town in Africa, hence the name, the Cape doctor for part of the time. Um, I want to say she was a doctor for the uh, military. She was a military doctor also. And it was just, it was a really good book. She was an awesome main character. She had a lot of strength without being annoying, if that makes sense. Because sometimes when you have some overly strong characters, they're almost like bullies. You know what I mean? And she was very subtle with her strength. And it was just a really good book. I liked it. Anything where you have so many obstacles to overcome and you do overcome it and achieve something that no one thought you could achieve, it's just inspiring. And she was a very inspiring person. So it was a great read. It, it was kind of a long book. It's I did the audio and I want to say it was like 13 hours. So not super long, but not just an afternoon read either. Um, yeah, it was awesome. I enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And that again was called The Cape Doctor by E.J. Levy. Awesome. <clears throat> Kelly, are you ready for your close-up? Bum, bum, bum. First of all, I should preface this by saying that this book I got in the mail at work the other day uh, from Leslie Barrett and Marlena Brown from PR by the Book. And (laughs) I was holding it up. Kelly's like, oh, I don't remember what exactly you said, but basically the gist of it was, ooh, I'll I'll read that. So I said, hey, you want to read this and be on the podcast this weekend? I think you'd already agreed to be on the podcast before that. I had. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading another book and I stopped reading it to start reading this and I got it on Monday and it's Saturday and I finished it today (laughs) about an hour and a half before we did this podcast. (laughs) That's not unusual on this show. It it does happen sometimes. So start, start Uh, so start with Thailand artist. So this is a scavenger hunt by Chad Boudreaux. And it is honestly a blend between Tom Clancy and John Grisham. That's the best way to describe this book. But it follows the story of Blake Hudson, who is a Justice Department attorney. And he is asked to join a group of individuals who are working to thwart a terrorist attack. Because at the very beginning of the book, like, The prologue is a suicide bomber who is parachuting into a stadium full of people 
with a bunch of boxes being parachuted into the stadium as well that were all had explosives and it kills over 10,000 people in San Francisco. Holy That's your welcome to the story. It's <laughs> a terrorist attack in one of the largest cities in the U.S. And it, this is the interesting thing about the book that I really had a hard time with is um, if you've ever watched any of those spy action movie type things, you notice that they jump around in time and location and they follow multiple different storylines because all of them kind of kind of convalesce at the very end until you get the resolution. And that's exactly how this book was. Like in the first eight chapters, we were in um, Washington, D.C., Maryland, California, uh, China, Iran, just kind of all over the place. And it just kept going that way. Um, there was not really very many places that weren't visited in this book. <laughs> and there were a ton of characters, but the main one is uh, Blake Hudson and then four other members of this team. Um, there's Natasha Hensley and she's like the, you know, powerful, intelligent, attractive female agent that's obligatory in stories like this. And then two other guys, um, Jake Reed, who had retired from all things government and was a, a fisherman in Mexico who was called out of retirement to come do this project. And then uh, another guy, I don't want to say his name was Blake. No, me, not Blake. Um, Brent. It was Brent. And then the group leader, and I forget his name because honestly, I, I just didn't like his character and he was so sketched from the very beginning. But they're basically called in to, you know, try to stop this group that did the initial terrorist attack. And they're not really given very much information. They're not given a lot of intel. They're given a lot of resources, but not a lot of intel. There's more questions than there are answers. And so they dub their own little mission Operation Scavenger Hunt. And as it goes on, it's very clear that they're being set up. And the reason this is so clandestine and the reason that they don't have a ton of information is because they're supposed to be the fall guys for some powerful people who are using them to take out their enemies. Mm. And it just follows that whole story. And then um, it's broken out. Like each part of the book is broken out into sections. I would honestly say that this could be a movie tomorrow because it's written with acts essentially. And each act has a name. So in the questions part is where Blake starts realizing that he's going to be a fall guy and the legal implications of this could put him on a terrorist list, even though he's not a terrorist. So he immediately starts, you know, digging in and trying to find everything and doing his investigation and reaching out to allies and making allies, except all of his allies start dropping like flies. Oh. because it's a big, big cover-up and there's somebody very powerful at the top of all of this who has orchestrated the whole thing. I don't want to give it away because this is definitely a kind of a mystery type novel and if I give too much details then it'll just ruin it for a reader but it was definitely a page turner. I wish I had had more time this week because I would have read it a lot faster. Um, I actually today went to read it I was in public. I was reading at um, Empire Pizza. I went to get a slice and I'm, you know, eating my food and my water's almost gone. And I'm reading my book at a particularly heinous part where uh, another attack has occurred at the attorney general's office and um, bombers have crashed into the building and blown it up and 29 people die and like 19 are injured, including the assistant attorney general is killed. And one of the women who is slowly dying there is giving her speech like her, please tell my nine-year-old daughter I love her and we fought this morning and I'm so sorry I said those things and I love her always speech. Mm -hmm. Right as the bartender comes up to me to say, hey, you doing okay? You need more water or anything? I sat at the bar because it was crowded. And I look up like, I'm fine because I'm crying because I'm reading this speech. <laughs> and he just starts laughing and he's like, I'm the same way when I read. I totally understand because I'm like distraught. I'm fine. <laughs> oh, it was a really good book. It was very well written. Um, I said it reminded me of John Grisham because of the legalese that went into it. There was a lot of legal knowledge and um, just attention to details, setting the scene down to the cup on the table. That's very John Grisham-esque. And then 
Tom Clancy because of all of the, you know, the violence, the the military espionage part of it, all of the the, the tactical parts that come into it, it reminded me of Clancy in that regard. So if you're a fan of either of these authors, you will really, really enjoy this book. I do not regret it. I am impressed that I was able to read it in a few days with everything on my list this week. So if you have a busy life, this is the book that will make you want to not have a busy life. <laughs> it Chad Boudreaux, Scavenger Hunt. That is the title of the book that I read. You know what was really fun about this is that Kelly kept, she would come into my office and she'd go, well... I went down another rabbit hole for this book and I looked all this stuff up and it's true. Yes. I'm, I honestly, before they finally self dubbed their little, you know, secret group as operation scavenger hunt, I kept telling Martha, I'm convinced that the reason that he named this book scavenger hunt is because you keep Googling half of the information in there to find out if it's true. And it is. And there was a couple of things that blew my mind. First of all, I had no idea that Robert Kennedy was actually the one having the affair with Marilyn Monroe. It wasn't JFK. And that there was like a whole building or, or whole room built inside his um, building that was like a secret room where he used to meet with her. That's a real thing. Uh, I Googled it. I didn't even know RFK was the one that Marilyn Monroe was. I had no idea. Then uh, they made a mention to the Oklahoma City bombing at one point. Um when they when he's first being shown to the eighth floor of the building that he has worked in for literal years and didn't even know this floor existed uh he asks right away why are these windows um i can't remember what type of glass he had said plexiglass maybe yeah i think it was plexiglass or something like that and he and the guy said Oh, architects learned their lesson after the Oklahoma City bombing. The majority of the deaths and injuries were from shards of glass flying through the air. So, of course, being someone who lives in Oklahoma City, that kind of captured my attention. So I end up going to Google that and find out that that is, in fact, true, that almost all of the injuries in the blast circumference area was glass injuries. It wasn't any, it wasn't the heat. It wasn't anything else. It was, it was the shrapnel from the glass. It was large shards of glass getting lodged into people. Mm. Um, one of the investigators found a piece of glass two and a half feet inside a building. Dang. That's crazy. Yeah. So they stopped apparently buildings were built differently after the Oklahoma city bombing to make sure that something like that never, ever happens again. And yeah, I just kept going down all these rabbit trails because there were so many different things in there. And at one point he's talking about, you know, type A personalities jogging and type B and type C personalities milling about the library. And I'll be honest with you, for whatever reason, I had only ever heard of type A and type B personalities. So I always assumed that that was another one of those binaries that we forced for ourselves. I didn't know there was a type C. So I ended up reading all about type C, type D and type E personalities because I never knew they were real. <laughs> Like like you said, it was a scavenger hunt. It was a scavenger hunt, and I found a ton of information that I didn't have previously. And it was really good, too, because the author of this book, I should have mentioned that. Okay, he's a Washington insider hired by the U.S. Department of Justice the night before the September 11, 2001 attacks, launching him immediately into counterterrorism work that earned him high accolades at an early age. His success in the Justice Department carried him to U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Blah blah. You get the point. Yep. The guy has a background. He in has it. cred. Yeah. So, yeah. So all of the you know all of the mission ops language, all of the insight of the workings in Washington D.C. and how you know uh, attorneys versus lawmen versus um, mercenaries look at all of these situations was really on point, and I thought that was really interesting insight. Well, thank you again to Leslie at PR by the Book uh, for sending that copy to us. And Kelly, thank you for reading it. I love when it has a bunch of like like facts embedded in the story like that. That makes you want to go look it up. Yeah, Vonnie would probably it. love this too. Yeah. That was another reason it took me so long to read because I kept going down rabbit trails. I'd make it four chapters in and then be Googling something. And 45 minutes later, I'd stop my little reading adventure from Googling and go back to the book. <laughs> okay, let's shift gear. I read 
a book called All City by Alex DeFrancesco. I've read a few books that were sort of like this, where it was in the near future and there was a lot of extreme weather involved. This one takes place in New York City right as a superstorm hits the city. And it's one of those storms that was a lot like Katrina, only way, way worse. And it hits New York City. And so a lot of the people who are trapped there who could not evacuate were the people who can't afford to evacuate. The people who have nowhere to go, the people who, for whatever reason, didn't leave the city. Um, and there are two mostly main characters that we sort of see through their eyes. Michaela is one of the, the main characters who grew up in a neighborhood and she gets a phone call from this guy that she grew up with saying, you know, maybe you should come over because my apartment is higher than yours. She's really worried about her grandma. So she really wants to go and help her, but the storm is hitting. So it's not like she can really go anywhere. So she ends up going with her friend and they sort of huddle down together to weather the storm. Well, there's also another character named Jesse who is described as a genderqueer anarchist punk who, you know, you learn a little bit of the background of them and how, how life is affecting them and the people that they hang around with. And really the way things begin to come together is all of these different people have to, they have to leave their apartments and their homes because they don't have supplies. And so they sort of end up getting rescued by the boats that come. Of course, there's water everywhere and it's not receding. So they're there for days and days and days and they run out of supplies. And what they ultimately decide to do is they go to this luxury apartment where they know that the people who live there are either new people or like second homeowners. So they know about this luxury apartment building and they go there separately, but the people who are in this apartment building are all, they all begin working together. Of course, basically they're squatters. It, no, nothing in the apartment building belongs to them. They're there to try to survive. And so they're basically just using everything that they can find trying to survive and there's a whole community of people that sort of band together and Michaela's a part of that as is Jesse but those were the two most interesting characters to me I think it was because Michaela was she sort of took on a leadership role and took control of the supplies and was keeping a close eye on those. You also see her go through some really seriously tragic things. At one point, she is raped. She tries to go and find her grandmother. And the man who takes her in the boat basically rapes her. And there's nothing she can do about it. But she does get her grandmother and she brings her grandmother back to the apartment. Well, in the meantime, there's this artist that's going around the city painting murals on all of these buildings. Clearly the man lives in New York City and he that's what the attention of the media comes to is they see these murals and that's where the coverage goes is is to things like that because it's so it really just shows the humanity of the New Yorkers that remain there and that sort of thing and of course it looks good on tv and eventually uh the mural gets painted on their building and of course that just brings attention to them so it's all about you know their time in the building together the relationships they build i was really especially touched by jesse's story because being non-binary Jesse gets their period 
and doesn't want to ask anybody else because they don't want anybody to know what their gender is. So having to be vulnerable in front of Michaela in order to ask for these supplies because they don't want to be discovered. They want to remain, you know, the way they had been living. They, they don't want to be named as a girl. And I guess I knew about this. I've heard and read some things about it, but this particular character, it just really hit home to me how horrible it must be to be in that position of your body basically betraying you. You know, you've made this choice and these are the the ways in which you try to control what happens to you. So I, I really thought that that was a really great portrait of some of these individuals that were dealing with this issue. And the luxury apartment, of course, you know what's going to happen in the end because that doesn't belong to them. But it was really good. It was it was not my usual read because I usually don't care for the sad type books. It, it, there was a lot of sadness in it. There were a lot of trigger warnings in it. And of course, it was considered science fiction because it's near future. So like more dystopian, it was way too plausible and difficult to see that kind of, you don't want to see that kind of thing happen, but you know it eventually will. I just enjoyed reading it, even though it was something that hurt my heart. And that was called All City by Alex DiFrancesco. Y'all read depressing books. Yeah, sorry about that. Mine really wasn't that depressing. I mean, it was inspiring because she did so much. I mean, she was a great doctor. She made big strides for the, you know, 1800s or 1700s. It's always one decade after the actual time, right? So, yeah. I usually read weird weird science fiction crap. So the stuff I read is never usually sad on that level. So, yeah. To be fair, it wasn't my usual thing. I think the only book I've ever read that had like pretty intense subject matter was Gone Girl. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was pretty extreme. I, I always tend to, and this is kind of funny because in in my actual life, I, I'm relatively disinterested in these topics, but I do tend to gravitate towards legalese and spy and like that type of espionage thriller thing. I'm pretty anti-establishment as as an individual, so it's interesting that all I ever want to read about is establishments, but <laughs> they're always fascinating. <laughs> well, I mean, I read a lot of the same books that my dad reads, and we could not be too – we are so different people, it's not even funny. So, I, I mean, it's just whatever piques your interest. Yeah, and right. you The appeal of reading kind of – supersedes everything else about your own personal preferences I think it really does and it's interesting because you can never ever judge a reader by their appearance what is that sound it's probably echo snoring you haven't heard it in a few weeks it's making like a robot noise are you on a party line no oh I can't believe you even know what a party line is, Kelly. <laughs> I'm just laughing that she immediately went to that after you went the noise. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just my hot tub in the background. That's it's really got to be it. You turn your background. fucking hot tub off when we're trying to record, Bonnie. <laughs> I can hear it now. Again, sounds like muffled talking now. Well, you know, me and Tyler kind of joked around that. Uh, the ghost has been more active in the house. God, that so sounds... That's what it is. It sounds terrible. It's it's the ghost saying... Yeah. And like a car just went by outside, so like you hear traffic noises at my house for sure. Toby just wants to be on the podcast too. My ghost friend Toby. How can you deny him? He read a book. He just wants to tell the world about it. God damn it, Toby. Get your own fucking Toby, microphone. I'm- Look, Toby, I would really like to know if a ghost could read what a ghost would choose to read. <laughs> They'd be looking up seances and like dark magic or something. <laughs> Toby wants to let us know what he wore in high school because he just wants to be part of the conversation. He wore pleats, I bet. It was you. It stopped the minute you plugged that in. Oh, weird. Okay. 
can't believe you made Toby go away, Kelly. You're so mean. It turns out Toby was living in my phone. <laughs> no wonder your battery's been draining all the time. Could you ask Toby what he did with all my freaking silverware? Because it's disappearing again. That's because you have Tyler living with you. It's in his bedroom under his bed. Because that's I how I moved in like three days ago my silverware started disappearing before then oh um how to be elegant you can pretend to be a man and become a doctor that you can overcome a hurricane and a rape and homelessness and create community and you can clear your name of a terroristic plot to destroy the united states that's seriously fucking elegant that's the most elegant I can think of. If you could do that in an evening gown, you would be the most elegant of all time. I did all that, but in heels. <laughs> you you would be what like a what would most elegant of all time? Not a goat, but a meot. A meot. Meot. Elegant. You know what I think of when I think of um, elegance? I think of Helen Mirren in red where she takes off her necklace and uses it as a way to bolt the door and then pulls out a machine gun and say, and a they're... long elegant evening dress it would hide your thigh holster for your <gasps> very long ass gun Ooh, a thigh holster that's pretty sexy yeah that's hey, elegant baby check out my thigh holster <laughs> Those are some mighty fine guns you have going on. If you only knew. (laughs) That's pretty elegant. I do hate it when people talk on their speaker phones in public, though. Well, you know, it doesn't even matter if you're on your speaker phone, though. There was one time I went to Sam's and it was right when they opened. So there was not very many people in there. And I was on my earbuds or my um, AirPods talking to my sister. And so I'm talking to her while I'm like looking at the fruit and stuff. And this lady starts talking back at me and I didn't want to be rude. So I just started talking to her. Like I was actually talking to her because I was like, that is- and Vanessa was like, what's that all about? And I'm like, Oh, somebody thought I was talking to her. <laughs> I said, I I've didn't want that- to be rude. I've done that same thing with the um, guys that have that. And they'll be walking, talking, Bluetooth. you know, like, Hey, how you doing? Yeah, that's it. They're a little Bluetooth thing. They're like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, I'm good. How are you? And they just like keep walking and look at me like, who the hell are you? And the I'm like, sales- oh, you said hi to me. The- and then I realized they're talking to something. <laughs> it's the salespeople at work that do that. The guys. Mm-hmm. They'll be walking down the hall <laughs> yeah. and they'll go, hey, blah, 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 blah. And you'll, you're thinking that they're talking to you and they're actually on the phone with the client. So, I mean, some of the tacky <laughs> things you say back to them is not appreciated in the workplace. Here's the, here's one of them that we didn't discuss. Stop hitting on people in tacky ways because it makes you look inelegant. What do they mean by that, though? Like just directly, overtly being like, hey, you, me, a bit, yeah? I'm assuming that's what it means because it says if you've ever watched a horny person hit on someone openly and in crude ways, then you know just how tacky it can be done. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I'll use a good example from recently at work. Somebody comes into my office, stands there, looks me up and down and and goes like this. You look great today. That is just fucking creepy. I'm sorry. It is kind of creepy. But I did that to you when you wore your leather jacket day. You looked great that day. And I was just like, dang, Martha, okay. That's totally different. I mean, if somebody is like (laughs) being overtly creepy... You look really nice today while raising their eyebrows at you. Oh, ew, yeah. Wiggles eyebrows suggestively. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like the most overt. <laughs> um, I've seen some really uncouth ways of hitting on people that actually worked. You know, you see those guys that deliver those really cheesy pickup lines. I can't tell you how many times I've seen women actually respond to that positively. What? Really? Yeah, like legitimately. Yes. Yes, and the funnier and more unique the line, it doesn't really matter if it's crude or crass. If it's something they've never heard before, they're like, okay, yeah, hi, take me to dinner, whatever. Bonnie, what's the rudest thing a guy ever said trying to pick you up? I mean, (gasps) I worked in the car business for 20 years, so I have a lot of them. Yeah, that's true. What about you, Kelly? 
You ever had a really bad uh, one? I, a really bad one. Um, I worked at Sonic many years ago, um, and they have a prison exchange program where they work with people who are in halfway houses. It's kind of a transitional way of getting them back into the world. And uh, they had one particular individual at the Sonic that I worked at that had this is it was his very first shift, and he hadn't seen women in several years. But he walked up to me pushed my stomach with his fingers and said, I would put it right there. Oh. <laughs> yeah, by far the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I mean, in your stomach, maybe he was away from women for too long. <laughs> yeah. Did you say uh, you might want to go a little lower? <laughs> like, uh, I um, mean, that's my I knew button. what he meant. That small, then... Uh... I mean, you need to keep on walking. I would have said, is it the size of my belly button? Is that what the is? <laughs> I, uh, I honestly, I just removed his hand from my stomach and set it on the counter and looked at him and said, it's very clear you haven't been around women in a long time because that's not going to work with very many of us and just walked away. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then the worst part is, is like Sonic's small. You're basically on top of each other in there. Like there's no avoiding him for the rest of the shit. Like I'm going to have to keep looking at him after he just said that to me. <laughs> oh my God. Ooh. And you were very generous by behaving the way you did because you knew what his background was. I mean, pretty much. And I understood that it came from like a place of desperation. And that's, that's fair. I, I feel like, you know, that humans can understand that that is a need and this guy has been denied that for many years. So, of course, he's going to be overly forward in the hopes that it just lands with the right type of chick. <laughs> and the but I was not it, that chick. <laughs> and the hopes it will just land. Yeah, definitely right. the worst one, though. What about you? Me? The work one? Um, No. It was a very similar one where he didn't say very much with his mouth. It was in a country western bar. I was doing a remote. And the oldest guy in the bar old cowboy barely any teeth looked like he hadn't had a bath in like six years walked up to me and said hope you don't mind me saying this but uh you look mighty fine you know the eyebrows up and down it was it was honestly one of the creepiest things anybody ever said to me and I was probably like 23 at the time right so it was really unnerving Hope you don't mind me saying this, but, uh... It's the toothless part for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cowboy bar is the top creepiest. I mean, yeah, that too. That was just an immediate, ugh. But the toothless just added to it. Yeah, yeah. He had a couple left in there, but not very many. They probably got knocked out by all the other women he said stuff to over the years. (laughs) He's been hit a couple times. He learned to get nicer with just, you look mighty fine tonight. That's not what he used to say. That's why his teeth are gone. He quit poking girls in the belly, saying, you look mighty fine. I'm going to put it right there. I'm going to put it right yeah. there. Kelly, you win. That yeah, was so that awful. Was it was creepy. <laughs> you totally I want to put my micro penis right there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Ooh, that belly button looks good. <laughs> and that's going to do it for... Three Three Book book Girls. girls. Can't get enough of Three Book Girls? Check them out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow them on TikTok, YouTube, and check out their website at threebookgirls.com. And join the group Three Book Girls Tribe on Facebook. If you really love them, share the podcast with a friend or join them at one of their live events. Three Book Girls, a Steel Trap production.